Ken Doherty, the darling of Dublin, the tactical master, one of Ireland's greatest ever sportsmen, joins us live via the internet through Zoom um, with a nice floral background, I see there, Ken. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that was my wife's choice, not mine. I just want to make that perfectly clear. Is that, is that your new snooker cue case is going to be covered in the, the floral print? Yeah. Actually, it's not a bad idea, actually. I don't know whether we've got any rolls of this wallpaper up in the attic. We might do. <laughs> might make a waves cold out of it. How are you getting on through these uh, COVID crazy times? Oh, it's hard. It's hard work, isn't it? It really is. I mean, uh, you know, it's tough. The snooker clubs are closed. I can't play snooker. can't play golf. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it's a bit of a night. We should be actually, the, the worst of all is, that the World Championship should be on right now, you know. And I know they've been shown a lot of the old matches on the TV and now, but we should be in Sheffield now. And, uh, you know, commentating and, and watching it all unfold. And, and, of course, the final would have been this Monday. Jesus, uh, coming. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's the first time in the 40-year history that it's, it hasn't been played around this time. But hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, that they have a possible opening. Uh, at the end of July, when when the um, the uh, Olympics was supposed to be held in July, the last week of July, first week of August, so there's a window there of opportunity that the BBC have held now for the World Championship. So, hold on, you just you froze there, Ken. It should come back in a second. No, that remains to be seen over the next couple of months. But okay, you're back there. Sorry. Yeah, so whether uh, they, they play with crowds or without crowds, uh, that remains to be seen. But uh, at least it looks like it's going to go ahead anyway, you know? Well, well that's a bit, of, a bit of good news. It does make you miss it more. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm a big fan of snooker myself, and I have been all my life. And because it's not on now, it's, it's like I'm not getting that yearly fix of, of yeah. snooker, and it's making me miss it even more. So I can only imagine for somebody like you, who it, it nearly is still your whole life, um, yeah, it must be it must be crazy for you going your oh, whole life. It's with. terrible, yeah, because uh, you know you meet up with all the other guys that you work with in the BBC, uh, the players as well, uh, all the staff, and like for seventeen days you're there in, in Sheffield. You know, it's a, it's 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 a great uh, it's sort of that couple of weeks in the calendar every year that you really look forward to. You know, and Sheffield's a great city as well. It's a great host to the snooker. So we're missing all that. And uh, is there is there anything you are doing? Excitement of it, you know. Is there anything you are doing in the meantime? Has it brought any like impromptu programs or anything that you you're getting involved in at the minute, yeah, or is no, it all just stopped? No, not really. I mean, we've been doing been doing a few Instagram uh, sort of chats with a couple of the lads. I did one with Stephen Hendry the other day. Um, I did one with Dennis Taylor last week. That was good fun. And I'm gonna do one maybe with uh, Steve Davis next week. Oh, so, nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a few live chats over the, over the Instagram. But, yeah, I think everybody's in the same boat. They all miss it, you know. But I think we're all sort of, you know, hoping that everything will be okay for July and hoping that there will be, they'll be able to have crowds in there rather than behind closed doors because any sport behind closed doors, it doesn't have the same feel, you know. Like, mm. the, particularly the Crucible, you know, where the crowds are so close to you. Yeah, yeah. It creates, that creates the well, atmosphere and the tension and 
one of the main reasons I got into snooker as as a kid was the interaction with the players and the audience. Mm. Do you know them little moments that may only happen like one for five minutes in a whole match where it's just a funny moment and there's yeah. a moment of confusion with the referee and the players are kind of having the banter and the audience yeah. are having a laugh. Um, I think that's especially important to snooker. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it, I it think so. Of, I think anything like that because it, it, it's a. Uh, you know, it's a serious business at the end of the day. But when when they can have a little bit of a laugh and a joke and a little bit of banter and a bit of and a bit of sort of interaction with the crowd as well, I think that's very very important. You know, for so people what? watching, for people in the audience, and even to relax the players a little bit. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And uh, just uh, I was going to leave it to later to have a chat about, but we're kind of talking about it now. So, um, just just about your your commentary and stuff that you're doing in BBC, I really enjoy it, and I love when you're commentating specifically. Now, not just because I'm I've, I'm a fan of yourself years, but mm. you bring a bit of humour to it in your commentary, which I like. Um, yeah. And and my 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 dad's the same. He has certain commentators. He's he's the one who got me into snooker, and he has certain commentators that he's, he doesn't like as much. But like yeah. when you're on, because like ah, Ken's gonna have a bit of a laugh now. How yeah, yeah. you can tell, you can tell you're enjoying it. Um, how is how is how strict is it in that commentary box when it comes to um, having a laugh and having? I don't. A I think no. I mean, there's no restrictions on you per se. I think it's just that I think there's a time and a place for it. You know that where something can happen and you can you can have a little bit of a laugh and a little bit of joke just to lighten the sort of mood sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. but it, you have to be careful where to pick them and, and place it, you know, because it can't be when the guy is obviously down on the shot or yeah, when yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a really sort of tense moment. So, there's, but at the same time, don't forget there are plenty of people, you know, watching it on TV and they're listening to you and you're trying to explain stuff and they like to hear, just like, as you said, you like to hear a little bit of banter, a little sort of cheeky quip here or there, you know, or a little story it might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you're trying to engage, you're engaging the um, the, the viewer and the listener, you know, uh, and bringing them into, trying to engage them into what exactly has happened here. And, and then, you know, lighten the mood every now and again, it, because it can become, you don't want it too serious all the time. So you want to just be, be yourself, you know. I think Dennis, Dennis, Taylor does that very well. John Virgo does it very well. And, uh, you know, any time I sort of, if I get a chance to do it, if I can, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll try it myself. Like, you know, oh, you're, fantastic. Just... you're fantastic at it. Um, and it's, it's mm. great to see you still being involved fully in snooker. You know what I mean? Everybody still gets their Ken Doherty fix um, in the commentary box as well as on the table. Um, <laughs> so that, that, that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. And also, when you when you talk about it in that way, it's kind of a bit like a podcast in a way because mm. also commentating on the sport. But there's a lot of the times where it's you and the other commentator sort of going on tangents. You know what I mean? And having little interactions with each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's in. I think that's important as well. Where you know we'll we'll tell a story about uh, something that might have happened at the World Championships. You know like a few years ago, like John Virgo might recant a story uh, or, you know, Dennis Taylor might, or one of the other, John Parrott might recant a story or Steve Davis. And then you sort of, you sort of, yeah. Ha- yeah. Then you might recant a story of, of something that happened very, very similar, you know, whether it be in the amateur days or the professional days, but everybody has, has their own stories or funny moments. Like, you know, so 
it's nice to engage the uh, the viewer and the listener in, in in some of those stories as well. I think they enjoy it as much as we enjoy telling them, you know. And how was it for you being, you know, looking up at the commentary box all the time? And how how did that feel to be up in the commentary box looking looking yeah. down? Like, what were you yeah. ner- were you nervous to do that, or were you were you, was uh, there any? Um, you I know. think I was probably starting off. I, I think you're always a little bit nervous. You're a little bit scared of maybe upsetting some of the players that you play with, you know? And they might get a bit offended by, you know, you call them out on a shot that they've missed or, or a shot that you think they should have played and they didn't, you know? You'd never, you'd never call a player out for missing a shot because we've all missed shots, you know? But you can sometimes call a player out if he's made the wrong choice of shot, you know, which is which can be crucial as well. Uh, so I was a little bit sort of uh, wary of doing that. Yeah, but yeah. I suppose that as you get as you go on, you think, well, look, at, you have to be honest the way what way you would see yourself, you know. And I think if if you're not honest yourself or give your own honest opinion, then I think you sort of you're cheating as well as cheat the people who are listening. You know what I mean? So. Now, whether you're right or wrong, or people agree with you or not, but I think you have to give your own honest opinion of how you see the shot or how you think you should have played the shot. But mm-hmm. I might have a different opinion to Stephen Hendry or Dennis Taylor or Steve Davis. You know what I mean? And that's the, I think that's the beauty. It's like football. You know, everybody has an opinion about about their their team or the way they play or who's the best team or whatever. But uh, I think as long as you, we all have our own opinions and we can always be our own individuals, you know? Have you ever put your foot in it in the commentary box? Uh, yeah. I oh my goodness, yeah, I did. I um, I tell you what, I did <laughs> once. Uh, Rory McLeod was playing, and uh, it was, I think it was my biggest uh, faux pas. That Rory McLeod was from like he's a, a West Indian sort of uh, descent, you know, mm-hmm. an English lad, good player. He's playing in the in the in the World Championships and I'm, I'm in the commentary box with Willie Thorne you know and uh, of course when you're in the box with Willie Thorne you've got to be careful of the name Willie like you know what I mean as you can imagine you know so uh, anyway Rory is looking at this black into a corner pocket and I picked up the microphone I pressed the red button and I'm live to, to the nation and I go well uh, Rory McLeod uh, he's got a tough black Willie that's, that's not a good start, you know. And Willie, I look at Willie and he's shaking his head. He's going, no, 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 no. And I said, uh, I said, uh, yeah, and, you know, uh, he's got a tough black Willie. And it looks very, very hard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Willie, Willie is creasing up in the, in the commentary box beside me. And you know, when you've, you know when you've said something and you're trying to dig yourself out of it? Uh, I finished up by saying, yeah, he's got a tough black Willie and it looks very hard. But I think it just about squeezes into the corner pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't so, make that uh, up if you, if you tried. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, but, uh, that was, was I think it, that was one of the worst ones, you know. I, was think, it, I, have, come out, I have come out with another classic, which was, uh, <laughs> I think he, uh, uh, that, I can't remember who was playing now, but I said something about a player. Well, he's got an opportunity here. He's got to grab the ball by the scruff of the neck. <laughs> I, think, saying, I think I heard that one. Grab the ball by the horns. He's got to <laughs> grab the ball by the scruff of the neck. 
But that's one way of doing it. That's one way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's brilliant stuff. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't yeah. write that. And when you said that about the popping the black, um, did, did you instantly realise you like was it one of them moments where you get that sinking feeling in your stomach and you're like, oh, oh bollocks? Or were you just like, yeah, 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 try yeah, play yeah, it yeah, cool. How did you? How did I, you? I just, I just. I just kept digging and digging and digging, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was making things worse. But uh, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the biggest, that's the biggest faux pas that I made. But they've all made them, you know. I mean, they've all there's been some classics, like you know, they're, they're happy, and that's the joy of yeah, it. Yeah, John Burgos, John Burgos, best one was uh, it was a morning match, Max Selby against uh, Marco Phil. It was the semi-finals of the World Championship a few years ago, and it was a Saturday morning, very first session. And in the 40-year history it was at the time, they played the longest frame. You know, it was 78 minutes, you know? And I think it was the second frame of the session. And I think the fourth or the fifth frame was 68 minutes, which is Whoa. the second longest frame in the history of the World Championship. And John Birgo and Willie Thorne are in the commentary box, you know? And you can imagine the two old boys, they, uh, the, the concentration levels had dropped quite considerably because <laughs> the match was dragging on. You know, it was like, like nearly four hours and they'd only played about six frames and they got another two frames to go, you know. And uh, <laughs> Willie Thorne uh, turned to John Birgo. He forgot to press the red button off, which meant that if you don't press the red button off, anything that you say in the commentary box, people can hear it live on the BBC, oh, in their earpieces, in the crowd, you know, oh, and anybody God. listening listening online, you know? So, uh, <laughs> Willie put down the microphone, forgot to press the red button off, and John Brigo didn't see the red button on either, and he turned to, to JB and he said, uh, well, you know, I said, this snooker is absolute rubbish. He says, oh, you know, it's absolute crap, you know? And <laughs> JB says, uh, well, he goes, I was hoping to watch a bit of racing this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Now it looks like <laughs> I, I might not even see effing match of the day. <laughs> oh, God. That was a classic, oh, absolute God. classic. And Make everybody sure. started laughing in the audience because they all hear it in their earpieces. <laughs> Make sure so, you don't you don't make the same mistake, Ken. Oh, that, that was one of the one of the one of the all time classics, you know. Oh my god! Yeah, and of course, yeah. we all gave we all. I was I was ribbing him afterwards. Virgo, I said, John, the next time the cue ball is going near the corner pocket, are you going to say, "Where's the effing cue ball?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant stuff. So, what made you get into snooker? In like, I know you're probably getting asked these questions all the time but for people yeah. who are maybe interested in, in what I do and they're, they're not as uh, well equipped with snooker as I am um, yeah, yeah. what made you get involved in snooker at such an early age as, as you've said oh, well, instead I'll of tell like you instead of football and, and all the yeah. other main I love football sports. I mean yeah. I love football I played football in school I played I was the captain of uh, the Ratmines boys team you know uh, and uh, I love football. I mean, football was really uh, was my first love when I started when I st when I was a kid, you know. Uh, but when I saw Alex Higgins play on Pop Black uh, when I was about eight years of age, um, I just wanted to play snooker, you know. Uh, I asked uh, Santa for a small little snooker table in queue, and I got it. It was at the end of my bunk bed, you know, on a Christmas morning. That would have been. 1977. The snooker would only come on the TV for us once a week, the Pop Black, 
once mm-hmm. a week during the year, you know, during during the season. It was on every Thursday night. It was only uh, two frames being played. Uh, it was condensed into a half an hour program. Would you watch and it on your own or would you watch it with the family? I was or... watching it with my dad. My dad loved the snooker and he introduced me to it, you know. Mm-hmm. He loved Ray Reardon. And when I saw Alex Higgins buzzing around the table, potting balls, the fact that he was Irish and he used to wear the four-leaf clover and everything like that, uh, I was absolutely mesmerised. And from then on, I just loved snooker. I kept playing football every day, but I used to put that little table on, the, on, on our dining table or on the floor. Um, and of course, there was a couple of snooker clubs in Renla at the time. Jason's being uh, the one I used to go to most of the time. And, and from then on, it was it was on my doorstep, and uh, I was absolutely hooked. You know, and when, I, when Higgins when Higgins won the world championship uh, a few years later in 1982, I thought it was one of the greatest moments in sport of all time, and, and I was absolutely uh, I was then I was completely hooked. You know. Yeah, my, mine would have been the exact same towards you, except I didn't become a professional <laughs> and win loads of money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would have been the exact same towards you. Yeah. So I kind of got fixated with snooker and, and obsessed with it, like kind of nearly around the same age as yourself. I would have got a, a toy table. And then when I was about yeah. 11 or 12 I would have, or 10, even I would have started, you know, bumming my way into the, the snooker hall and, and trying to, get a few quid off my mar every day to play an hour of snooker on the table and sometimes even cleaning the, the local snooker all the classics yeah. where I played in, in Finglas oh yeah in uh, Finglas yeah. yeah yeah sometimes even cleaning the tables or doing the weeds to get 20 euro off Rocco who yeah, yeah, will yeah, probably yeah, yeah. be watching this podcast because he's, he's a big fan of yourself um, and yeah. so but I kind of well, after- I, I used to do I, I exactly I mean I can relate to that because when I started going into Jason's Forest I mean I was only allowed in on a Sunday with my brother initially. Uh, and then, like, uh, when I got to about 10 or 11, I used to be able to, the bus would stop in Renlet from Western Row. I, I, my school bag would go under, underneath the snooker table in Jason's. And then I'd, I'd sweep the floor, I'd empty the ashtrays just for like oh, three Oh, the ashtrays, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd empty the ashtrays, sweep the floor. Uh, do a bit of cleaning for the manager, and then he'd give me a free game of pool or snooker, you know. And that's how exactly that's how exactly I started, you know. Why do you think you got so fixated though, and and obsessed? Like because obviously, when I was playing, I I didn't I got obsessed, but not to the extent of 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 you of, of you mm. did. When you're, what made you what 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 do you think makes you different to like? Because uh, like, a lot of kids would have been into snooker. It's a good. It's a good, it's a good question because. Um, I think the fact that, uh, like any sport, when you take it up, uh, you if you feel like you, you know you you're sort of improving or you're getting better, you just want to go back in. Like you you make a twenty break, you want to go back in and see can you beat twenty or make a thirty break and so on, you know. And for me, I took it up naturally, pretty well, you know. Yeah. Uh, I needed like one of those old biscuit tins to stand on on the full size <laughs> table. You know, I used to have to kick it around uh, Jason's. But um, and then when I start beating some of the older boys, they used to hide the biscuit tin on me. You know, what I mean? <laughs> make, it, <laughs> make it a bit more difficult. For me. But uh, but yeah, I used to just uh, I was just driven. I was determined when I go in. I just wanted to to keep learning, to keep trying new things, to keep trying improving. And my break was always the break was always the goal, you know, to to beat the break and you know get another high break and and keep better in my break. And that was that was sort of the 
you know, that was the carrot that I was always trying to achieve and better all the time, you know, and I just, I just improved and I learned good basics very, very early. Uh, and, and, and then just took it up really from, from then, you know, and just, just improved. And, and once I, I mean, I was lucky in lots of ways because, uh, unlucky in some, but like lucky in others. I mean, Jason's, uh, the manager was quite kind to me. You know, he went to the owners and said, look at this kid is, he, he's shown a bit of potential. I think it'd be rather than him, we'll still get him to empty the ashtrays and sweep the floor. But <laughs> I think instead of just giving him one frame a day, let's give him an hour of snooker a day, you know? And this was when it was only about, uh, I think it was about 12. Let's give him an hour of snooker a day and, and see how he gets on, you know? And we'll give him a little diary and he has to write down who he's played and oh, what, what, his high, what his high breaks were. Yeah, so I had a little, a little diary of who I played within the hour and did I make any big breaks and did I... You know, so I could see improvement, like, quite literally, you know? Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, so that that's exactly how it started from the age of about 12. And when did uh, you when did you think to yourself, um, do you remember, like, a light bulb moment or anything like that? Maybe you didn't, where you were like, holy shit, this, is, this could be Well, I tell happening. you, I, I, I played, my first tournament uh, was the Evening Herald, uh, and it was a junior under-16 tournament. I lost in the final, and I was... I was devastated, like, you know. Uh, but the following, about a week or two later, I played in the Irish Under-16 Boys Championship. And that was in your club in Finglas. Oh, in, cool. Uh, in the Classic. Uh, Noel Diamond, I'll never forget, the owner there of the Classic in Finglas. And that was my only second tournament. And I was 13 years of age. And, and I ended up winning the Under-16 <sighs> Championship. So I was Irish champion. And you were playing, yeah, you would have been 14. playing 15 and 16 year olds, would you? 15, 16 year olds, oh. yeah. Uh, 14, 15, 16. I was just torn 13 in September and I won it in September. And, uh, oh, and from Jesus then, Christ. yeah, yeah, from then on, uh, sorry, I would have just torn 14 in, in, in September, but I was 13 when I won it. And uh, from then on, I'd sort of, uh, that's, uh, that was sort of, that was my sort of, kickstart basically you know to play first tournament on you know in in uh, under the ribs of rules and and mm -hmm. you know it was just uh you know this this was like saying well i was one of the top uh top juniors by then in, in the country so from then on then i just sort of kicked on from there you know and obviously it's it's a long road to to the world championship um to win that and and it's many days months and years of of you know constant practice and, and matches did you ever go through times of like ah oh, this is i can't do this or did you ever get any lows because i know snooker, oh, yeah. snooker, snooker takes a lot of mental strength and, yeah. and uh, consistency um tell us about that because i mean i, 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 had, I had lots of i mean i had lots of lows lots and lots of them uh, you know i i think one of the the biggest the biggest ones were there was a couple of things that happened in my life I, I lost in the uh, I was I won the Irish Amateur Championship in nineteen senior championship in nineteen eighty seven, and I was defending it to the guy that I beat in the final. I was the, in the first round the following year, nineteen ninety eight, and nineteen eighty eight, and I lost in the first round, and I thought to myself, I mean that was a low because it was it was actually played in Renly, 
and it was in front of my own crowd. I was just too nervous playing in front of my, you know, right on my doorstep. So I thought to myself, I can't stay in Ireland anymore. I have to get away and improve, you know, because I'm only playing the same type of players, you know, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. only way to, to get any better is to go away and play the best in England and the UK and playing pro-ams and try and uh, and try and make it over there because and then I knew if I didn't if I couldn't make it then I'd always come back and I finished you know, did my leave and and then I uh, I went over to, uh, to London uh, now I mean for two years I scrimped and scraped and played in programs before I eventually turned pro but the first year I was almost I was only within one or two matches of actually getting on the tour in 1989 and I fell short I lost to Dave Harrell 5-3 and that knocked me back a whole year I mean that was one of the biggest lows but it turned out it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing because I came back here won the Irish Amateur Championship 1989 and then that gave me a ticket to go to the World Amateur Championships uh, which was held in Singapore in 1989 mm -hmm. and I ended up winning the World Amateur so I became World Amateur Champion and world junior champion in the same year. So, you know, there was, you know, so it was like peaks and troughs, like all the way. And uh, so I turned pro a year later in 1990. So, but there's, even through the professional career, you'd have highs and lows. And it, it, the one thing about snooker, it's a very, it looks, you know, you would say, yeah, I had a good career and I won the world champion. Yeah, it's fantastic. But mm -hmm. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of lows along the way, you know, a lot of defeats, a lot of, very lonely times, you know, going back to, you know, your your apartment after you've been beaten and you've been yeah, practicing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Your confidence is very low. You know, you've won, lost a lot of matches in a row and you don't know where the next win has come from, you know? So, it's very, very tough sport. It's All it, sports are tough, but it's a very lonely, lonely tough sport. I can imagine it, it really is because, you know, with the likes of football and rugby and, and other, other sports, you know, you have your teammates to go through the losses with and, you know, yeah, you can talk about them and kind of go through it together. Whereas you're completely relying on your own mental strength and, and you yeah. know, I'm sure you don't want to be complaining either to family or, or friends all the time about your loss or, or about how no. you're feeling as well. So you, no. you kind of really are on your own in, in, in a sense. Now, I know you can probably have the odd complaint to family and, stuff yeah. and, and friends, but you can't really bring them on that journey with you either because that would be unfair. Well, I, I mean, they, they used, I mean, I mean, what I used to do, and it was probably the wrong thing to do, but I used to, I mean, when I was living in uh, in London at the time, and I, I, if I lost a bad match or another first round or something like that, uh, I'd, I'd lock myself away in the apartment, you know, for a couple of days. I wouldn't come out, like, you know. I'd go down to the shop, so I wouldn't go near any snooker club. Mm -hmm. You know, the phone would be off. I wouldn't be ringing home, or I didn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, and you just try and... It's a bit like isolation it was then, you know, so. <laughs> Without the COVID, that's exactly what it was like. And there was no Netflix then either. Oh, no, like, yeah, God, you know, yeah. VHS, like, you know what I mean, if you were lucky. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was down to the local video shop, Charpusters or Exhibition or whatever it might be. And uh, Watch the, watch the, the, same, the same video three yeah, times yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah, I'd stay in until I, it started, I got it out of my head and then I could... Because I used to fail sometimes. And I don't know why, it was a bit stupid. I used to actually fail. 
I didn't want to go up to see people and then explain how I lost or I'd be a bit embarrassed more than anything. So I didn't want to see anybody. I just wanted to, I wanted to let the dust settle for a few days and then go back to the club after that. And so I don't think it was the right thing looking back, but that was the way I was just, that's the way that, I that was. That was, your, that was your way though, yeah. you know, every, yeah. there's, there's different ways for everybody. And, and obviously looking back now, it didn't do, do you too bad. And um, mm. maybe, maybe you needed that, that time to just be yourself and just to settle and, and let it yeah. soak in and, and trying to restart, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you're trying to work out, you're trying to work out what did I do right? What did I do wrong? How did I, you know, because everything was like you're walking to a certain to a match or a tournament, you know, and you practice and practice and practice, and, and you still get beat. And then you think, you know, you're wondering where the next win is going to come from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If your confidence is quite low, it's it's very it's a very lonely uh, place when your your confidence is very very low. It's being shattered, you know. Uh, but you just have to you have to dig deep. You have to uh, get back on the practice table and then just. Try and believe in yourself. Remember the good. Remember some good matches you played, you know, and try and that sometimes can help you perk yourself up, you know. It's a very, it's a very funny sport, and I know it, it can happen. As I keep referring to football, but just because I'm a football fan, and um, yeah, it's a very funny sport though, because I, as I can imagine, and as I, I've listened to a lot of your commentary and, and all the rest of the lads and, and lasses' commentaries, um, of how sometimes a player can be, you know, on top form on the training table and have a nice record behind them and go onto the table and completely have the worst session of yeah. his life, which is just crazy. And even you heard the interviews. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell yeah. you why that, that can happen as well. Sorry. But the way that that can happen in snooker, because when your opponent is at the table, it's not like you can, you can tackle him or, you know, you can hit a backhand. <laughs> you know, you can you can hit a volley. To, you know, if he's a tennis player, or you know, it's not like other other sports in that respect. Once once your opponent's at the table, you have to sit in that chair and wait until he misses. Now, sometimes he might not miss. You know, for one frame or two frames, or you might make a bad break off and he knocks a long red in and he makes a century. And you're sitting down like for 15, 20 minutes, and you haven't potted the ball. And then you get up for the next frame. He knocks another long ball in. That's when it's that's when the psychology comes in. That's where the demand sort of comes in, uh, and that's where you have to be very, very mentally tough, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to this to the stage of, uh, um, you know, when you're talking about when you kind of isolate yourself for a couple of days after a heavy loss, and you didn't yeah. really want to talk to anybody. Uh, how did you hit the restart button? Because I know I want to talk both sides, you know, the bad and the good. So how did you? Yeah, yeah. How did well, you pick? Just, how yeah. did you pick yourself up from them? Very low, well, low points. After like after a few days, you sort of you, your your head would be clear, you know, and then you just uh, get back out, back up to the snooker table. Um, after a few days, people had probably forgotten about your loss, so that was a, that was a good thing. And you just get back on the practice table, and then uh, you know let let's bang on to the next one, you know, and and practice and practice and practice until the next tournament came along, you know. But sometimes, I mean, I I. I you know, I could go like sometimes I, I might have gone three or four tournaments losing the first, second round, you know, and uh, it can be quite crushing. But you just got to keep, you got to keep dusting yourself off and get back up on the horse, as they say, you know, and keep believing in yourself. But keep, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. You know? I've heard players talk about when they're really, really on farm and they feel like they just can't miss and, and literally, like it's, mm. they feel like, um, 
they're not even doing it themselves. Like it's just yeah. what does that feel like? What does that feel like? Because well, I don't know. It's been oh. so long ago since it felt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, now you're just in. You're in sort of automatic mode, as they say. You know, and uh, it's a great feeling because you're in total control of the cue ball. You're in total control of your emotions. Uh, uh, you're totally confident in everything that you're doing and and everything seems to be going into the middle of the pocket uh, it's a beautiful feeling you know and mm. when you get when you go into the pack everything opens up nicely you know you, you get some nice runs of the ball nice little kisses off reds and stuff like that um, and it's a beautiful feeling yeah and like everybody goes through that you know where you, you hit it like a purple patch and mm. you, no matter what the other guy is going to do you feel well, if he misses on 60, I'm going to clear it up with 61. Or if he misses on 67, I'm going to clear it up with 68. So uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful feeling to have. You know, that's when, that's when you're riding the crest of the wave. Did you ever surprise yourself, Ken, in a match? Now, I know you're known as, as the, the comeback king to come some back, people. Yeah. Um, did you ever surprise yourself, look back and go, how the f- did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do quite a lot actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think some of my ma- greatest matches are actually have been in the Crucible. You know, uh, uh, I've had some fantastic matches there. I mean, I've had some some great wins. I've had some like hard like losses, like tough ones. You know, um, the great win was obviously you know beating Stephen Hendry in the final. Uh, I mean, he he hadn't been beaten. He was going for six wins in a row, and which was a a stretch of like thirty matches. If he had a won that, uh, if he had a beat me, so I stopped him in his thirtieth match in a row, which was when I look back, I think, well, I mean, that was something. How did I do that? I don't know. And how how well I played against him as well. I mean, I beat Mady in twelve. But, uh, I think that was my greatest match. I think my second greatest match was on the TV yesterday against Paul Hunter. Uh, is that, the, is that, was that the comeback one? That was the comeback, yeah, from yeah. 15-9. From 15-9 uh, to beat I th- him. I, I think I was watching that through teletext, Ken. I, t- I think <laughs> for some reason, I don't know whether uh, why why it was teletext. There was one one of your one of your games or, or matches. I don't know why whether it was on telly or not. But for some reason, we were checking results yeah. on teletext and we were refreshing. And my dad's just very you know classic Dubliner. He was like, "Ah, he's at the effect. It's gone. Yeah, don't be don't be checking the teletext." And I kept checking the teletext. Now you never know. And he was like, "Ah, look at the scoreline yeah, or whatever." Yeah. <laughs> I think he had money on you or something. But he kept. I kept refreshing it, and you just see the frames come up and up and up. And I was like, "Oh yeah, my, yeah, yeah. what's going to do here?" But then obviously I went on to watch it again. Um, but yeah, what was that like? Sorry, your frown was there. I'll come back in a second. Well, I mean, I was, I was, I, yeah, I was You're fifteen back. nine down. I was going into the, yeah, I was fifteen nine down. I mean, Walter already won two Masters Championships. He was one of the top players in the world at the time, mm-hmm. and he was playing sensational snooker. You know, I was, uh, I think it was nine four down, ten uh, six. I went fifteen nine down in the end, and um, we had to play the last session. It was the first of seven eight. So coming out, I had to technically beat him uh, eight one, but to win eight of the nine of the nine frames, and uh, I went out. Look, I wasn't expecting too much. I said, "Look, just go out. Don't give it to him easy." That's all I was saying to myself. Don't give it to him easy. Make mm-hmm. him work. If he's gonna beat you, 
make them work for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you win a couple of frames, you know, you might put a little bit of doubt in, your, in, the, in the guy's mind. Let's just see what happens. Get out, win that first frame, win the second frame, and then see what happens. And that's, and this is the good thing. The other, the flip side of, of uh, sitting in your chair and waiting for your opponent to miss. When you're at the table, your opponent can do nothing when, when you're at the table. So that's, that was my, that was my sort of uh, philosophy going into that last session. I said, just go out, win the first frame, see what happens, you know? And that's what I did. I won the first two frames. Uh, the next frame, he's missed the yellow when he was 26 ahead. Just the yellow, green, brown, blue, pink, and black. He's 26 ahead. He's missed the straightforward yellow to, for me to need a snooker. It wobbled. Uh, I potted a long yellow, green, brown, blue, pink, and black. And now uh, it was 15, 12 instead of like, you know, 16, 11. Yeah, like, yeah you know? which is a big difference. Yeah, huge. And then I won the next frame. And then we go to the interval now. And I've won the first four frames. I'm only 15, 15 13 behind now. And uh, and I can see how nervous he's getting. It's just snowballing, snowballing. And when I went back to the dressing room, I was just talking to my mate Mick earlier. And I said, when I went back, because he was reminding me, he said, you know something? He said, he said to me, I can see how nervous he's getting, you know? And I said, mm -hmm. if I win this next frame, I think I can beat him, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, so that's that's how you're... It's, it's amazing how a match can change very, very quickly. I mean, this guy was playing... I, I was only holding on to his coattails, you know? He was knocking breaks in left, right, and center. And uh, he was absolutely flying. And all of a sudden now, he was like, he was a shadow of the player he was the day before. And now I was like, uh, just absolutely uh, dominating the match. So did you, did you have to sleep on it then? Was it when, you, when it was two in it then? Was it, was no, there's... no, 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 no. Or was it just it the four? It was played out that night. Oh, okay, yeah. It was played yeah. out in one afternoon on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, so there was no, no time. We only went in for the interval, four frames. Back out after 15 minutes. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get you, yes. Yeah, so I'm 15, 13. I win the next frame, uh, 15, 14. He wins the next frame to go 16, 14. That, was that when he won that frame where you're like, oh. Yeah. Well, I was saying, well, look, at you're in range. You're, you're, you're two behind with three to play, possibly, you know? Uh, the next frame, I think I got a lot of luck. I missed the blue, blue, pink, and black left. I missed the blue into the what we call the number two black pocket. And it went into the middle pocket. And I only needed the blue. So uh, that was a, a huge slice of luck. His head went down. I got to 16-15. And the last two frames, I, I dominated. Really, you know, he didn't really get much of a chance. So, but I think that was... Uh, I his, think, apart from winning the World Championship. Yeah, I think that was... Nobody had ever come back from... Uh, uh, people have come back from... Like Taylor came back from 8-0 down. But nobody, with so few frames to... To finish, nobody had come yeah. back ever at the Crucible. So it was, I think it was one of my best ever. And I think one of the real Crucible classics, you know? Definitely, definitely was. <laughs> definitely was, whether I was watching it through know, tele text or not. <laughs> yeah, you know, the funny thing about that when I was watching it yesterday, Jamie, that... Uh, Is it weird looking back at that stuff? It was very weird looking back. And it was also, I was a bit teary-eyed because Paul Hunter passed away only three yeah. years later after that you know he died when he was only he was died when he was in his prime he was only 27 mm -hmm. uh, he died in 2006 so you know he uh, that was his last real chance of winning the world championship and uh, so it was tinged now when I look back it's tinged even though it was a great one of my greatest ever matches it's like 
tinged with with, with sadness as well because mm. of uh, what what Paul could have achieved had he not been taken because of the because of uh, his diagnosis of cancer. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was a shame. It was terrible, heartbreaking. Yeah, I can yeah. I can remember it as as a young kid myself and just being like, "What? That's that's, mm. that's shocking stuff." Because he, he kind of had a a David Beckham element to him, didn't he? Yeah, he, did, like, yeah. He, he was stylish. He was young. He had the looks. You know, he, he had everything, and and the, the the kind of sexy snooker he played as well. Um, yeah, was was well, amazing. That, that was his nickname, wasn't it? The Beckham of the Bay is like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was an incredible, incredible talent. You know, in fact, oh, one funny story uh, when he was playing, he was playing Fergal in Fergal O'Brien in the final of the Masters, and uh, he was losing seven two to Fergal, first to ten, and. Uh, they had they finished the session. They had to come back in the evening session, and in between sessions, uh, he invited his wife back to the hotel. You know, and uh, he thought a little bit of R and R might it won't do me any harm. You know, what he, he called it he called it actually Plan B. You know, <laughs> if he was seven two ahead, she wouldn't have been near the hotel. If he was seven two behind, he thought, oh, come on, we'll go back to the hotel together. We'll have a little bit of R and R. And he came out, he made four centuries and six frames. <laughs> so the plan B worked. Like, I don't know what they've been up to. Maybe they might have been watching some documentaries. I, I'm sure they were, just, they, were, they were just playing checkers, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> National Geographic, I think they were watching. <laughs> oh, God. So what do you think is more important than snooker? Skill or, or mental strength or, or a mix of the two? And have you ever came across a player with extreme talent but didn't have the, the mental stability to um, play snooker. I'm yeah. just I'm very interested uh, in the, in the in the mental side. No, I think look at I think you do need a little bit of skill, a bit of talent. There's no doubt about that. But uh, as Alex Ferguson would say, you know, talent without uh, hard work and, and sacrifice wins nothing. You know, and uh, I mean, there's so many talented players uh, uh, here, and also. So many talented players here in Ireland and even in England when I was there, and uh, you know they didn't, but they didn't have the aptitude and they didn't have the, they had the talent, but some of them didn't work hard enough, and and then some of them couldn't handle the pressure, mm-hmm. even though you know when it got down to the crunch that they, you know sometimes they throw the towel in a little bit too early, you know they didn't have the stomach for it, you know, but. If they had worked a bit harder, they probably they probably would have been okay and been successful. So you need a little bit of talent, but you need a lot of uh, hard work, and most importantly, you need a lot of uh, uh, bottle. You know, mm-hmm. be able to handle the pressure. Uh, definitely, when it's at its, definitely. Yeah, when it's at its height, you know. Yeah. And how did you cope with that? Um, because I remember watching watching your games, your matches as 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 a kid and a teenager, and even as an adult, and I. I would, I would be shaken. Literally, I would be shaken because, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm very patriotic, and when there's an Irish sportsman, no matter what they're doing, I'm, yeah. I'm, I give them me full support, and I think a lot of Irish people are like that, as as you would have experienced. Um, how did you deal with that, especially knowing how patriotic, patriotical? Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. The Irish are, yeah. like, how, uh, did you, well, how did you deal with with that? I think, you, I think, uh, I don't know. It's just something that. It's just inside you, you know, that, that when the pressure comes down, I always I always sort of uh, felt that when the pressure would come on, uh, not to be too scared of it, you know what I mean? 
Like, I mean, I'm used to it. I'd be shaking sometimes, you know, before a match or, mm-hmm. or even sometimes during a match. But you'd say, come on, you'd be talking to yourself and say, come on now, just the pressure's going to come on. But just like say, what a, what a result, or what a feeling it is, what an adrenaline buzz it is that when you can play good when the pressure, when you're shaking, you know, that you can still even hold yourself together. Mm-hmm. That even you know, sometimes your arm might be shaking, your head might be shaking, you know, but you're not, you can't see it. It's not, it's not really visible to anybody else, but you can feel it yourself, you know. And when you have mm-hmm. that your cue in your hand and your back arm is going like that, you know, uh, but when you, you, you're always telling yourself, look, if you can just hold yourself, what a great victory and what a buzz this will be in this game, you know, and it's sort of, you're always talking to yourself when you're a snooker player, even when you're at the table, you know, you're talking to yourself silently up upstairs, mm-hmm. uh, forging yourself on, like, get this next red and, you know, get the boy here, make it easy for yourself, keep the pressure on, you know, hold yourself together, you know, all these little things. It's amazing what goes through a player's mind when he's at the table and even when he's not at the table. But more importantly is uh, belief, you know, you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Sometimes the belief the belief goes away from you, you know what I mean? But you have to keep talking to yourself as much as possible to calm yourself and, and welcome the pressure when it comes on because uh, you say, you know what's going to come on, look, you know, at any time. So welcome it and say, you know, I'm ready for you. So that's how you, you, you kind of did it. Yeah. How, why do you think there hasn't been um, a, a, an Irish person as successful as yourself since your 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 heyday and your yeah. victories why do you think that is because yeah. it, it's 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 kind of i i often ask myself that because i remember how popular snooker became when you, in ireland yeah. when you when you won the world championship like you really did a lot for for snooker in ireland and um i can remember how popular it was just from that that bubble of a few years after you won the, the world championship um so I was expecting more and more, you know, world championship, world champions from Ireland to to appear. Yeah. But it hasn't really happened. And uh, why do you think that is? No, uh, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know. Is the answer? Um, you know, you'd expect a lot. There's still a lot of like uh, a lot of snooker clubs were open at the time, and there was a lot of people playing, as you were saying. But nobody really sort of uh, kicked on. We had Fergal O'Brien. Yeah, uh, fantastic player. Yeah, he was. He, Done. He won a ranking tournament. Was in the top sixteen. Michael George, who knocked knocking on the door in the top sixteen as well when he was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Murphy got up to, into the top forty, maybe uh, top thirty at one stage. Uh, but you're right. Nobody has sort of won a, a, quite a few tournaments or something like that. No. And nobody got to really the latter stage of the world championship. It's surprising. Uh, I think as as years went on after that when clubs sort of start to close down, you know, because of property prices here and stuff like that, when the property price went through the roof, it was hard for a lot of the clubs, a lot of the, you know, premises to stay open just from earning from snooker alone. It, mm-hmm. it's not, it wasn't possible, you know? So I think that would have had to, a lot to do with it as well. So I don't, I don't know is the answer. Sometimes you get a player every now and again, and then it might take, you know, 30, 40 years, you know, uh, so uh, we never had one. We never had a world champion before me. But mm-hmm. you, you would think that, you know, it would inspire a lot of younger kids yeah, to take yeah, up the yeah. game. Well, look at, 
which is which is did which is which is can do it. You know what I'm saying? It it definitely did do that though. That's the thing, you know. It it definitely did do that, and that's how I I personally got into snooker myself. So, um, yeah, no, it definitely did do that. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, and it's something that I'd love to. I know, you know, Fergal and I have always been good practice partners, good pals. Michael George as well. We still practice with each other, Fergal and I, Michael George and I. Um, uh, but Aaron Hill, is, he, he, he's a young lad from Cork. He's going to turn pro this year. And he's, okay. the, uh, he's the European under 18 and he's the European under 21 champion. So nice, maybe, nice. maybe he might be able to carry the flag a little while and, and hopefully, because there's nothing more I would love than mm-hmm. for another Irishman to come along and represent the country, you know. Because Fergal and I are getting on. We're getting on now years, you know. <laughs> so uh, we need somebody else to come along and, and, and carry the flag for us. And what, what, um, what is the state of snooker in Ireland right now? In, from what you see, um, is uh, is it well, is I, it popular you, at the minute? Or? I, I did a I did a I did a program there, Lucky Break, a few years ago, and uh, I went around the country and you know to try and find a, a, a young prodigy, you know. And it was I was very surprised. There was quite a lot of talented kids around, you know, in Dublin and Cork and in the north, you know, and the west as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was very, very surprised. And I thought, well, if these kids stay at it. You know, a few of them have got a chance, you know. And Aaron Hill was actually one of the kids oh. uh, when, we went to, when we went down to Cork, yeah. I do remember that uh, programme. Yeah, Lucky Break. It was, and I had great fun doing it. It was on RTA. And it was really great fun doing it. And uh, it was like a four-part sort of uh, uh, series. But it was really good fun, you know, and trying to coach the lads and give them a bit of advice and take them up and up to Dublin and take them into my room down to Radisson and, and have a little coaching sessions with them. It was really, really good, you know. And uh, I thought something had really come out of it. But I saw a lot of talent, but I haven't seen The only one I've seen now is Aaron Hill. It's actually come out at the, mm-hmm. at the other end. Well, that's good. You know, at least there's yeah. still, still hope there and there's still up-and-coming players, yeah, yeah. which is, oh, yeah. which is, which is think, good to I see. The passion, I think the passion and the interest is still there for the game. Maybe not like it was when I was starting off, mm-hmm. but because, you know, rugby has become so popular now, football has become so popular, you know, even Gaelic games, you know, the hurling and the, and the football as well is even more. Do you think, do you think as well as, as the others? Do you think as well Sorry to interrupt you. Do you think as well as the other sports, um, do you think technology has an influence? You know, because when we um, were, when we were um, kids, well, I know, yeah. we, like there wasn't, you know, we, as much PlayStation and as much, you know. Yeah, well, this is, this is I think this is another part of that uh, as well. That a lot of the kids are, you know, on PlayStations and Xboxes and, uh, playing Fortnite or Minecraft, or yeah. and I mean it's not only the kids; it's the adults. It's the adults as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it is. It's a problem not only in this country but around the world where kids are not getting out to do any form of exercise. Mm-hmm. They just want to sit in and play playstations and uh, not get out at all. Yeah. You know. Well, you, uh, you see it. That's, see a, it that's a growing. That's a growing problem. Like you know. You see it around Dublin yourself if you're out on a drive or whatever. The way there used to be, you know. I know it has positives and negatives, um, but there used to be just gangs of teenagers and kids everywhere. And you see that less and less nowadays, especially, yeah, I, 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 I still live in Finglas. And, you know, when we were, when I was a teenager, I was on the, the road every day, you know, <laughs> but yeah. you kind of, you, you go out now and you, 
you don't see it as much, you know, football no, you matches don't, no, happening no, on greens. No, I was like you, I was out, if I wasn't in Jason's, I was out in the row kicking a ball or yeah, hitting a yeah. tennis ball up against the wall, you know. Uh, that's what I was doing. But uh, nowadays, you you don't see it as much. So, yeah, I think we, I don't mind my son playing a little bit of it, but I have to curtail him to, to get out and do his, his stuff. He plays a lot of tennis, you know, so mm-hmm. his, his times and his, his days are, are filled up. Um, but during this COVID, when there's no tennis clubs open, it's a bit of a nightmare, you know. To try <laughs> he, he's either he's either playing Fortnite or Minecraft or or chatting to his mate. I don't mind him chatting to his mates and, and having you know that he's keeping up with his pals in school and that you know they're keeping up conversation, having a laugh with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you don't get them out, if I don't drag him out to hit balls against the wall or do his running or do his fitness. Uh, you know, it's it's a struggle to get them off the off the off the telly. You know, how old is how old is your boy? He's twelve now. Oh, 12. Whoa. twelve! Yeah. twelve now. Yes, yeah. so, okay. I mean, he's the age. He's the age I was when I was yeah starting on my on my uh, you know footpad out on my career basically. You know, and uh, crazy, crazy. He's, he's not into he's not into snooker. But yeah, I was about to ask that. Tennis, you know? Would you love? Yeah, would you love? Would you like for him to be into snooker? Does that does that kind of annoy you a little bit? Yeah, uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't actually. No, I mean, I, I like. I wish he. I wish he had it tightened up a little bit that he could play. You know what I mean? And and uh, he can pick the cue up and hit the ball, no problem. Would mm-hmm. uh, um, he sits down after I take him down to practice sometimes, and he he hit. I give him a few little drills. To do on the, down and get up, you know, he uh, to see him play tennis, and I like him to see him. Uh, you know, he's got a talent for tennis, and I'd like to see him pursue that. So, yeah, you can't play two sports, like, yeah. you know, you've got to pick one or the other. So, I think the one he's chosen is, is a good sport, you know. What an opportunity, though, to have Ken Doherty as, as your dad, <laughs> if you yeah. were. Was interesting. Well, it, could, it has its pros and cons, I suppose. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> just a very tough teacher. I know that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably just that that oh, that's dad's thing. I don't want to do that. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have two little boys myself, um, and just right. like at six and and uh, I'm just getting mixed up with the ages. <laughs> Would you believe? Yeah. I have two. I have two little boys, six and four, uh, or eight and four. Sorry, eight and four. Alex and Zach, um, and. It's the same. It's the same thing. Like we were playing football out in the front garden, and it was literally, "Can I go in now, Dad?" And it's like <laughs> I would never have said that to my parents. No, can I go in no. now? It was more, "Can I stay out no, now?" You know, get get, get me in yeah. for dinner was a struggle. But I want to go in and play Fortnite. I'm like, "No, you're playing football. Stay out yeah, there. Exactly. Play a bit of football for a yeah, few." Yeah, 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 yeah. Go back to playing some Fortnite. But uh, I suppose it's just a different world, isn't it? That we that we live yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. We used to, I mean, years ago, like yourself, I mean, my mother sent me out, get out of the house now, and I don't want to see you until your dinner's ready, you know, and that might be about six o'clock, you know what I mean? That was it. She didn't want to see me, didn't want me around the house, dirty in the house, so I'd get out, and I'll call you when your dinner's ready, you know, and that was it, till uh, six o'clock. Yeah. But I believe yeah. we're happy out, like playing we loved football. It. Or, yeah. Loved She'd it. be coming around, chasing me out of snooker club with a wooden spoon in her hand, you know? <laughs> do your homework, you know, and. Do your or do your record, as they used to say, you know. So before I let you go, I think we have about ten minutes left. Um, what snooker players, just out of interest of myself, really? Uh, what snooker players would you be closest to the most? Who who amongst the lads? Yeah, uh, I you think be? my pals are my pals are 
the ones that I work with on uh, on the BBC, like you know, John Bergal, Dennis Taylor, uh, Henry, John Parrott, Steve Davis, Jimmy White. Would he doesn't work with us on the BBC, but he'd be a good pal. I'd be pretty close to Jimmy friends for a long, long time. Uh, they of the guys that you would now want to profess, yeah, they, they mm-hmm. any of the guys that would work with basically. Uh, Which is also the lads, Sean Murphy, Ferg, Ferg, Fergal O'Brien, Michael George. You know. Which is all we talk. have great crack. Just talk much. Yeah, we have great. Yeah, yeah. John Bergal rang me today. He's living in Spain, you know, and I, I'd speak to Dennis every now tough, and again. Tough I, life. I rang Jimmy. Yeah, I rang Jimmy uh, yesterday, uh, and I was doing that Instagram with Stephen the other yeah, day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, now I, well, I think we we started keeping touch. We all miss. You know, as I said, being in Sheffield, we have great fun together. You know, I mean, when we're there working with the BBC, you know, we're working with, we'll, you know, have a nice meal in the evening time, have a good old laugh, tell a few stories, tell a few jokes. It must be just you like know, going, going out to your mates, is it? When, when you're, yeah, when... have a few beers <laughs> in the hotel. Have yeah. a few beers back in the hotel. You know, and there's always a great crowd back in the hotel, people that you know for years and years, you know. And it's a, it's a, it's a good... They're like family, you know. They are. Mm-hmm. They really like family, you know. And you really, uh, you become very, very close, you know. I don't think I could do a full interview with you without mentioning Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, oh yeah. What's Ronnie like? I know that's a very tough question. Uh, since he, yeah, I well, I've known Ronnie when I first moved over to England. I used to practice with Ronnie, uh, and he was only twelve at the time, you know. Um, and what age would you have been? I was about 18. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, his dad used to send a taxi for me to go down and practice with him in the house, like, you know. And uh, a funny story about Ronnie, we used to play, like, it's the 19, then we'd come into his kitchen, have a, he'd have a little bit of lunch ready for me, or his mother would, and then we'd go back out to the garden and play another best of 19. Yeah, we had his own snooker room at the bottom of the garden. So anyway, I was beating him. I was beating him really badly this day. And uh, I think I beat him about 10-2 or 10-3. So he says, I can't play. He says, I can't play after lunch. He says, I've got to uh, I've got to do some homework and stuff like that. And I said, I won't be able to play you. you know? I said, yeah, no problem. I said, we'll just have our lunch. He says, call a taxi for me and I'll be on my way, you know. So we called the taxi. Um, got my cue in the car I forgot my little cloth that I brought with me you know so I said taxi I said hold on I'll just run in and be back in a sec so I came back in through the front door down through the kitchen out into the garden down the garden path into the snooker room and there was Ronnie practicing the line up you know (laughs) (laughs) when he was supposed to be doing his homework so how did that conversation go when people ask me, is Ronnie O'Sullivan, is he really that good? And I said, well, look, I used to be in the tree every day. Now, he was only 12 at the time. But <laughs> it, still, it still counts in my book, you know? It still counts. It definitely still counts. But, uh, no, he's, he's, I mean, even, even at that age, he was an incredible talent, great player. And uh, well, when you, most when, talented player. When you were playing him, player when, when you were playing him at that age, did you know instantly when you were watching him? Oh, or? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw him. I saw him first when I, when he was only about ten or eleven. Uh, but you could tell then he did, he did like a, a silky smooth cue action, 
uh, he was making century breaks at 10 years of age, you know, which was like quite incredible. Uh, so he was like five years ahead of what I was doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's how that's how good he was. Uh, and you know, he he, he had a great uh, temperament, a great a great knowledge of the angles for someone so young, and he had a beautiful touch. You know, so he, he was just he had everything. You know, he was fast. You know, he was exciting to watch, and a right character. He's sort of a sort of mercurial type of character as well as persona personality as well so uh, you never know what you're going to get with Ronnie even now today <laughs> you don't know you don't know what you're going to get with him you don't know what sort of personality you're going to meet you know he's sometimes really chilled out uh, and then sometimes he's not you know and uh, that's just the way he is he's had a tough he's had a tough life uh, there's no doubt about that but what a talent. What a talent. What a talent indeed. I think that's the pull of it, you know. It's just you just don't know what you're gonna get with Ronnie O'Sullivan or with a match. Yeah. It could end in, in after two frames or he could, you know, rack up yeah. six and hundred breaks in a row. You just yeah. Yeah. sorry, you're fro- you're froze great there. Name as well. you. Sorry, you're froze there. Yeah, he's been incredible. He's been incredible for the for the game as well. You know, I mean, he's got such a such a following. You know, when he plays, uh, you know, both from TV viewership as well as like attendances. You know, at the at the at the tournaments, he's just mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's he's like he's top of the bus. Have you ever had any um, competitive moments with him? Any any competitive run-ins in the oh, dressing yeah. room? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, well, when I when I was living, I lived in that Ilford area for and played in that club for ten years. You know, I mean, some days we wouldn't practice together at all. Like we wouldn't oh, talk God. to each other. No, we wouldn't <laughs> talk to each. Other. You know, we had a right, we had a right rivalry during those nineties. You know, uh, now he would have learned an awful lot from me, and I would have learned a lot from him practicing with each other but one thing I will say is that before the world championship in 97 we sort of put our differences aside and say look at let's just practice for this world championship and uh, every day for two weeks we played best of 19 or two best of 19s every single day and we went to the world championship that year as like sharp as tax like you know and uh, he made the 147 in 5 minutes 20 oh, seconds yeah, in the yeah, second yeah. round the first round very first round and uh, I went on to, to win the championship that year. Uh, so I have a lot to be thankful for, you know, for him. And boy, he, he would have been thankful for me for yeah. a, lot of, uh, a lot of the experience that he would have learned from me as well, practicing there, you know. That's a story you don't quite hear. He mightn't hear. admit it. He yeah, mightn't that's... admit it. <laughs> that's, that's a story you don't quite hear in the, in the, in the, the BBC, the real there that you have. Um, so it's interesting that you, you shared that. I actually never... Never yeah. knew that he's even yeah, yeah. tried uh, practice together stuff like that. Listen, yeah, yeah, I could yeah. chat. I could literally chat to you all night long, Ken. You're literally um, one of my childhood heroes. Um, oh, thank you. I appreciate you you taking the time to, to chat to me on this little podcast that I'm starting up. So it's it's yeah. a great it's a great honor to have spent the last hour chatting to you. And honestly, I could take I could I could sit here all all night and, and ask you a million questions. But I know yeah. I know I know you have a life to live as well. So I will, <laughs> I will, I will let you. Live. Uh, no problem. Um, no problem. Is, is there anything? I'm glad, com- I'm glad we got it. I'm glad we got it done eventually. And anyway, you know. Yeah, it's great. And I'm sure one day in the future, when when this is all done, with uh, we can we can have a frame a snooker one time, and and, and I can get the trif- trifecta. Then you know, I interviewed, <laughs> I interviewed you audio, okay. audioly on video, and now all that's left to do is have a game, game of snooker. Yeah, against. no problem. 
Um, but Look listen, thanks, that. thanks very much. Is there any um, people can check you out on Twitter? Ken Doherty on Twitter if people want to. Yeah, yeah, at Ken Doherty. Nineteen ninety-seven, I think. It is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Instagram. Uh, Ken Doherty, nineteen eighty-nine on Instagram. Perfect. Go check out Ken. Say hello. Leave leave a comment on his, on yeah. his social, social media. Yeah. I'm sure, he'll try to get back to you if he can. But uh, nice talking to you, Jamie. And best of luck with your podcast. Thanks, man. Well, the, the first three episodes have gone great so far, and, and and it's been a pleasure to have yourself. And I'm sure I'll even get some some more top quality interviews now that I've got legendary Ken Doherty on me podcast. So, so thanks very much. Have, <laughs> have a great evening and uh, sure you'll see this okay, on Twitter. You can, you can give it a yeah. retweet and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll, we'll do, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, stay bye. safe. Take care. I know it's cliche, but stay okay, safe. You too. See you later, man. Bye, Thank bye. you. Bye.